Hello and welcome to Pain Uncovered. Today we are discussing ankle sprains, probably one of the most common injuries that you can come across. So here today is myself, Liam Swain, and John Martin. Hi guys. Hope everyone's been enjoying the podcast so far. Um, so a little bit about ankle sprains, really. They're probably the most common injuries that we see in clinic. Essentially, it usually happens from the rolling of the foot to the side. And you've probably all seen these injuries happen time and time again. Um, usually the outside aspect of the foot gets planted on the floor and the body weight goes kind of with the ankle and you end up rolling into that, that outward position. Um, common in a lot of sports and a lot of day-to-day activities, whether that's walking along a cobbled street, rolling out of a stiletto, which John's an expert in, uh, or in your chosen sports activities, very common in, in dancers, um, which I know that John, John deals with a lot. So how do we manage a sprained ankle? I think, I think a really good question initially for those listening is what is a sprain? Because I, I, I get this a lot with regards to a bit of a... Um, uncertainty people hear sprains people hear strains and tears and and i think there's a bit of generic confusion for the majority as to what a sprain is um and essentially it's a disruption of disruption of a ligament it's damage to the ligament um the strains aspect is damage to the sort of muscle muscular tendinous unit where the, where the muscle meets the tendon and the tendon itself um most of them are called sort of referred to as, as tears you know uh, but in this instance when we're when we're referring to ankle sprains we're talking about ligaments and uh yeah i think we've all had i mean liam have you had an ankle sprain uh, i've had a few little ones but luckily nothing uh, nothing too bad so touch wood that carries on i know i know and like you said they are the most common i think fun nhs fact forty-two thousand ankle sprains are classified as severe each year in the uk alone now, if you think about that is a severe ankle sprain, think about all the lesser ankle sprains that don't present to any. That's a hell of a lot of ankle sprains. And uh, yeah, I've definitely had it. And it's bloody horrible, if I'm honest. You, you'd be running along. Mainly, I think the, the worst one I had was when I was out running in the trails. And I think I caught a rut and rolled my ankle. Next thing I realised, I was down on the ground thinking I'd be shot by a sniper grabbing my ankle, rolling around, yelping. And uh, it's horrible because you're in the middle of nowhere. Your ankle blooms up and you're just gripping it, thinking, how am I going to get back to the car? And uh, I think, like you said, super, super common. Super common. Um, Yeah, sorry, Liam. I just completely went off on one and I don't even know what you asked initially. We were sort of going into sort of the treatment or the classifications. Where do you think is a good way to go for the listeners on this bit? So let's classify the uh, the classic ankle sprain, like we said. So the rolling of the foot outwards, like you uh, like you were saying, running through the woods. Um, how would you classify your ankle sprains when they come into clinic? Okay, so essentially with sprains, we classify them between one and three. Okay, so um, as a general rule of thumb, classifying a grade one. Um, so you guys may have heard them as grade one, twos, and threes. Grade one, we see it as a bit of a stretched ligament, but no dramatic changes minimal swelling um, no real bruising and you can still walk um, and it, it's pretty minor and self-manageable really um, and, and with that it exactly what i just said you're pretty much self-managing you probably won't come to clinic so very rarely do we see the grade ones in um, grade twos however um, are a little bit more severe so the ligament stretches to a degree 
doesn't rupture. Okay, um, you do get a lot of swelling and bruising. You can walk, um, but it may be a bit painful. Um, and there's a definite degree of guarding. So similar to what we we're talking about in our lower back, you, you're very hesitant and protective of that area. Um, and then moving into grade three, where essentially you're looking at a tearing of that ligament. Um, very much diffuse swelling, so it almost swells up like a balloon. And you get really heavy black and purple swelling, and that kind of just runs everywhere. Um, initially, maybe around the outside of the ankle, the lateral ankle, um, into your Achilles, the back of the back of the uh, the calf, round into the the inside aspect of the ankle too. So there's kind of like key identification sort of areas there. Um, but obviously, for us and Liam, I'm sure you're exactly the same. If someone ever comes in with a suspected ankle sprain and it's looking looking pretty sort of severe we always want to try and rule out fractures essentially within that first week um and we kind of go by the ottawa rules really and that that is an amazing way to assess and basically instead of sending a ridiculous amount of people to a &E to rule out fractures um the ottawa rules since they've been put in place they help reduce 95 percent of of miss needed right that's terrible english isn't it misneeded but inappropriately sent sort of uh, people to it um any for x-ray and all essentially all that is is um kind of three points at least we look for three points is there pain on the outside or inside so the, uh, the lateral medial malleolus the ankle bone to direct palpation of that bone um essentially if you can't wait there immediately after the injury or when presented to the clinic that's, a, that's an also a positive sign, a bit of an issue. And essentially, with direct palpation, so that's a hands-on sort of application of pressure, um, is there pain around the victor or fifth metatarsal? And, and really, if there is to any of them, that's when I'd initially say, right, get, get a quick X-ray um, and we can sort of carry on with management once that comes back, fingers crossed, negative. Um, but obviously if they're showing pain on those symptoms then there's a chance they do have a little fracture there depends on how heavily they rolled it or the or the mechanism of injury the sport they played or how they've done it absolutely and i think that's one of the most important things that uh not to get too over the top in thinking everything is an ankle sprain because actually there are quite a few kind of fractures that are missed within those first couple of weeks if you don't follow those guidelines and although sometimes it might be a waste of time um, to get that x-ray and everything looks fine uh, it's always best just to, to to check if you are classifying with those markers on the uh, on the classification testing so very very important that, that it is assessed um, by an adequate healthcare professional really yeah Absolutely. Um, I say when when um, when they come back clear, if they're not really showing a need to to sort of refer for an X-ray, um, I mean, ankle sprains are pretty easy to identify, right? With regards to anterior draw test and and identifying which ligaments are are the issue. Yeah, definitely. There's uh, very well used clinical testing that identify to us which um, ligaments are, are damaged. And then we can use the results of those clinical tests to then guide where treatment needs to start, um, dependent upon the extent of the injury, to be honest. If you're looking at sort of a, a grade three injury and someone does have a very lax ankle, although there might not be a break there, sometimes you may look to immobilize that ankle in something like an air cast boot. It's very rare, but if someone's unstable, the last thing you want is them to continually roll that ankle because then it's not going to be long until they do end up with a fracture on the outside. So it might just be a week or two 
use a boot just to get it to, to calm right down. Um, but again, that's very rare. I, I, I can probably think of one or two uh, patients where I've had to immobilize them. Um, and they're probably the patients where I was more concerned about them going back to things too soon. So it's almost like hold them back. If they can't physically go and run, then at least they've got that boot on to stop them. Um, but most we just jump straight into early management. Um, what do you use in the sort of early stages then, John? Um, well, again, it, it definitely depends on um, the severity that they're coming into. Um, and early stage management, for me, it's about obviously uh, reducing the inflammation, um, but more so incorporating form of nociceptive and, uh, and proprioceptive load. So essentially stability, um, communication between the muscles and the nervous system and bringing in range of movement. So really just trying to, in a pain-free range, improve the range of movement, um, encourage a pro-inflammatory response within the ankle whilst managing pain and inflammation. Um, it's, it's really interesting you mentioned immobilisation in those severe cases, the amount. Have you recently or sort of updated on the BJSM sort of guidelines for ankle sprains? Have you sort of seen what they're sort of recommending um, with regards to immobilization for first time ankle sprains in, in sports sort of environments? They're, they're, they're discussing and talking about um, splinting and bracing and immobilizing for up to a year in in the first in the first instance to to dramatically remove uh, reduce the risk of re-injury um i mean they they recommend early loading which obviously i agree with but i can't believe it recommends sort of bracing taping from from eight weeks to, to a year it's crazy um for me i don't agree i don't personally agree with that i appreciate it's to reduce the risk of reoccurrence and avoidance of that chronic ankle instability um, which definitely sucks if you do have a chronic instability there. But I'm, I'm more interested in sort of finding out if there are any sort of prognostic factors. Um, wow, wow, prognostic, where did that come from? <laughs> so if there's any sort of factors that um, are going to put them at a high risk of reoccurring ankle injury um, because of their sporting tasks or their running gait, or their BMI, or the strength of the muscles surrounding that area. Um, but to advise straping, uh, taping and bracing for, for that long is a bit overkill for me. Um, I prefer to load and improve that neuromuscular response to, to, to try and create optimal control. What, what are your thoughts on that? I know it's a bit of a tangent, but it's relevant. I think um, in terms of bracing and ankle supports and those sort of things in the general population, it's probably not a route to go down for a long period of time because you can almost become dependent on those um, and then people can feel vulnerable without them and then suddenly that dependency leads to muscle weakness because the, uh, the muscles around the outside of the ankle and foot aren't doing their job properly. In the sporting population may be slightly different um, and the, the reason I'd say that is because obviously there's a lot of pressure on players to get back. Now if you're playing at an amateur level, so just say for instance playing football, you can probably afford to take that extra month off or those extra couple of weeks just to uh, recover and fully heal from that ankle sprain. But if you're a Premier League footballer, for instance, um, there may be a lot more pressure on you to get back. So potentially using 
a heavy amount of taping around the ankle using um, a brace while you're training or those sorts of things might be might give you that edge of one or two percent to then limit further damage um, to the area it's not a long-term strategy by any means because we shouldn't be promoting people to use external stabilizers when their body should be good enough for it but I do think there may be a role to play for some sporting people but not if you can really avoid it. Yeah. I mean, just to me, it seemed a bit excessive. I know I appreciate it. that's going to raise a few eyebrows and, and we're talking about sort of scientific studies. Um, but hey, that's, that was just a bit of a personal. Lee, it's important to remember that a lot of those sorts of things are guidelines and people can often kind of forget that a guideline is there as a rough guide and you have to look at what's in front of you um and manage that um kind of appropriately for that person uh you sort of i don't know if anyone's watched the uh michael jordan the last dance um documentary but pretty much yeah they just <laughs> constantly taping those ankles up and you sort of think blimey how can they even move but actually when you look at basketball and the mechanisms of injury maybe that tape that they're heavily applying around the ankle might not protect the ankle it might just give the player the reminder not to move into those sort of zones where they are more vulnerable so i think there's roles and, and individuals where you can look to utilize those um those sorts of tools um but just not to create dependency really and again i definitely agree with that element of it and it, it, it kind of reflects back to what we've discussed previously with regards to creating that creating that window for that individual and if that allows them to continue forward with their rehab whilst continuing that that sport activity especially in the pro sports there's a there's a big monetary drive to continue moving you know uh, and even if that puts you at risk you have to mitigate mitigate the sort of risk factors really don't you so yeah no um but initial initial management i, th I suppose a lot of people listening if, if, you, if you're out there if you rolled your ankle um what do you do you go and grab ice don't you you whack a bag of ice on it to reduce the inflammation. But again, that's something that's sort of flagged up lately and, and they're kind of moving, well, definitely moved away from changing the ice principle, sort of rice as it was. Um, so those of you listening who sort of still think about rest ice protection elevation, um, it's now sort of transferred across to peace and love. So protect, elevate, avoid. So avoid is ref in reference to anti-inflammatories. And compress and educate and then after the first few days of that injury the body needs love they say so load symptom free uh, the o stands for optimism and then get, that comes back to sort of like the pain science we previously discussed a, pessim a pessimistic struggle with that word um individual going through rehab represents barriers to recovery so we want to really try and sort of encourage that um encourage the rehab and and basically put it out on a plate and level with them with regards to expectations and what to what what to experience and what to know what to expect on that on that sort of journey um within love the v vascularization pain free activity improves pain and reduces needs for meds while improving oxygen flow and recovery and the e is reference to the exercise which we'll cover no doubt very soon so i mean with that why would you why why have they removed the ice because that's just something we always go to right if, if we hurt ourselves we chuck ice on it helps it helps numb the pain um but i think they, they're sort of suggesting that the, the ice has a very well, over icing and complications there negatively affect that healing process um 
So it's, it's kind of, they've shown it to disrupt the inflammation and um, revascularization. Um, and as well as that, it, it's shown to increase immature uh, myofibers in, in the form of healing um, on the tissues, which affects the strength and integrity of the repair, essentially. So they're sort of pushing to, to avoid the ice. Now, I do agree with this to a point, And again, Liam, it would be interesting to sort of hear your thoughts on it. Um, I do absolutely agree with that. But uh, and, and let Mother Nature and its pro-inflammatory response do its thing. You'd be amazed at how quickly swelling comes down and, and subsides without icing directly. But for me, if you want to ice, ice. It's not essential, but it's not the most harmful thing. And, and personally, if it numbs the area and, and helps pain manage, that in turn assists in pain in, in your management, which... Um, so, so by doing that, if that allows you that sort of window to be moving and encouraging um, a normality in your gait, that in turn is going to encourage a, what they're looking for is a pro-inflammatory response needed for the healing anyway. So if, if icing is a pathway to getting you moving and getting the body healing itself, then, yeah, I don't see that as being an issue. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think we do need to be cautious around um, any injury, kind of instantly trying to reduce down the inflammatory response basically people want the swelling gone quickly so they can get their range of movement back and get rid of their limp but it is there for a reason while tissues are healing so much like you said really we use it to to reduce down some of the swelling maybe so you can move a little easier but as long as you're not sat there all day for, for for a week with an ice pack on your ankle 20 minutes in the morning 20 minutes in the evening isn't really going to disrupt the um, the inflammatory response of the body so i would much like you, you said john just just pop it on short periods, followed by some gentle range of movement exercises. Um, a big thing that I, I kind of um, always think about is that in the early stages of, of any injury, our body is trying to heal. So sometimes you get people and they're really aggressive with trying to get their range of movement back and they're pushing themselves into quite a lot of discomfort. So take the ankle, for instance. Naturally, it's going to be hard to move your ankle inwards and outwards and up and down because you've got some swelling and the body's trying to heal. Now, if we equate that to a different area of the body, say, for instance, you've cut your skin or burnt your hand on the oven and it's over your wrist crease. Now, what happens if that's trying to heal and I'm aggressively moving my wrist up and down? Well, that scar and that scab is just going to come open and it's going to start bleeding again or oozing a little bit and it's going to take longer to heal up. So although we want to promote range of motion in the ankle, being aggressive and really, really stretching in those first sort of five to ten days in my opinion, can actually be counterproductive to someone's long-term recovery because the poor ankle's just trying to heal and you keep stretching it even further. Mm. Um, so I think it's all about kind of judging on how far that joint can move and just working within a pain-free range. And you'll probably find that within a few days of just gentle movements out of pain, your actual ability to move becomes a lot, lot greater, um, which I think is important to, to bear in mind, really. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I completely agree, mate. And and if if people take the first sort of, like you said, five to ten days, just to let nature take its course and just be very calm in their movements, um, keeping pain levels to an absolute minimum, they have a much quicker response to 
rehab with regards to return to normal. Um, their rehab times will massively reduce because they're not re-aggravating that injury and, and causing almost like a, a vicious cycle with regards to returning back to the initial phases. So, yeah, no. That's a, I, I love it, Liam. I, I take ages to try and explain something and it's never that clear and you just sort of nail it in <laughs> 30 seconds. You just a summary of what John's trying to say is this. <laughs> Come out. But yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? With, with regards to injury recovery, obviously we've got three different grades of sprains and everyone has a different or everyone is, is strong and everyone has different balance receptors and everyone is, is needing to use their ankles in a, in a fairly different way. And implementing a program is very specific for that individual. What their sporting demands and needs are, what their private lifestyle demands and needs are, where their current injury is in response to grade, and then the phase of that rehab. They may already have gone past that initial sort of five to 10 days. At what point then do we start doing some rehab and how much is too much you know um and i think that's i think it'll be quite tricky to sort of really pinpoint right at this phase this is what you want to be doing because everyone's different everyone progresses at different rates um but with regards to let's say the first three weeks a fairly early early sort of stage um apart from range of movement but is there anything you would sort of add into add into their um rehab sort of exercises and where would you sort of go with it i try to relatively early depending upon the, the the client's pain levels is to start some isometric contraction so an isometric contraction is basically where a movement of the body is resisted so it doesn't physically move so um an example away from the ankle if you take your elbow for instance and you had your elbow tucked into your side and you're trying to bend your elbow up towards your shoulder and you're pushing down on it with your with your other hand that's an isometric contraction so where the the joint doesn't move so fairly early on in the ankle i'll try and get all uh, four of the main planes of movement so we call the bringing the toes up towards the shin dorsiflexion so i would get somebody to resist that i would do the same with going down towards the floor with the foot which is called plantar flexion and then inversion which is twisting the foot in towards the other foot and eversion which is twisting towards the outside now, I'll always say to people, there's no set numbers on how long you should hold those movements for or how often you should do. In the first few days, so maybe five to seven days, very, very light contractions, in my opinions, maybe 10 or 20% of someone's maximum. And we don't want to be going above a sort of three out of 10 on the pain scale. Now, it might be that you can gently push your toes upwards and hold that for, for 30 seconds. Fantastic. And what that's going to do is just help keep as much strength around your ankle as possible what we need is is strength and stability to allow us to to then recover quicker and faster to get back to the things we want to do so gentle resisted movements of the ankle in again a relatively pain free range in that first acute phase um and in terms of exercise that's probably my my maximum really in those first sort of 10 days occasionally i might ask somebody if, if the ankle does look quite stable just to practice taking some weight through it so something as simple as just standing on the one leg which can really help with the proprioceptive input um, and if people don't know what proprioception means it's basically knowing where we are in space so um, standing on one leg uses your ankle proprioceptors 
to keep us balanced. Um, and it's a big, big thing around, around the ankle joint. Is there anything different you would, you would use, John? No, I, I'm very much in line with that, if I'm honest. And, and I love re-emphasising and educating people behind the pain scale between one and 10, because they can really utilize that throughout their whole of rehab. You know, you mentioned no more than three out of 10. Um, we usually sort of three to four, but it's very much alike. And uh, the nice thing is, as they improve, they're still only going up to a set pain response. So that contraction, that isometric contraction that they're doing in any of those range of movement you mentioned, will gradually get stronger and stronger and stronger. But then that's a limitation for them to understand that they're not to push through too much of a contraction because they're judging their ability by their pain re response, which is relatively low. So I really, really do enjoy that. I like to also get people again um, with reference to what you've mentioned and, and not sort of pushing the range of movement, but early stages I like to get people to start writing the alphabet with effort. Um, simple, but effective for me. Um, by writing the alphabet, we really do just encourage movement in every plane and every direction of, of the ankle. And you're starting just to lightly engage um, some other muscle structures, you know, um, the intrinsic and extrinsic sort of factors in and around the ankle. Um, and let's face it, with ankle sprains, um, it's not just the ligaments that you're going to be causing damage to. You've got to think of all the other structures surrounding that, um, particularly the perineal muscle groups you've got two muscles running down the outside of your calf and they run in a very similar sort of route around the outside of the ankle and it's uh, into i think the fifth and the first meta so your toes now when you roll or invert your ankle and sprain it you're going to stretch the perineal group um, which is a really important muscle to stabilize and control gait and, and position your foot so it's important that we just start putting a light amount of um, movement education through that and we don't neglect the other muscles surrounding as well but yeah essentially range of movement education isometrics and a bit of proprioceptive feedback trying to bring in a little bit of um um weight bearing if possible um but again that's all to do with the pain response educating the, the individual behind how much pain they're in don't just grit your teeth and push through it because you're supposed to um if you can weight bear a little bit more, that's fine. And it might just be a matter of using a chair to, to take some of that weight off. So classified as partial weight bearing. Um, you can't fully stand up, but just taking a bit of the weight on a chair just helps you start integrating and shifting your body weight and balance through different sections of the toe, like you're rocking from heel to midfoot, from left to right, just to just to get the feet ready. Yeah, and, and uh, the ankle ready. And then essentially progressing on from there, really, once 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 they're able. And I think the next stage on from there, so once somebody, maybe their swelling starts to um, to reduce down, their walking pattern returns to, you know, getting back to normal um, and they feel a little bit more steady. That's when rehab, in my opinion, really starts to take hold. And this is when a lot of people will kind of begin to skip this step and miss out the, the this vital stage, I think, in rehab. And it's really about working on trying to strengthen around that ankle joint. So strengthening throughout range of motion mm. a lot of people will use therabands um, resistance bands to help work um, through the range which can be helpful at this stage i don't use them hugely around this area because i don't think they're the most functional things in the world but it can just help people to engage those muscle groups so those four main movements like i said about doing those resisted with a band can be helpful in this stage um, but also just progressing that stability and that proprioceptive exercises on from there 
Um, and a lot of that for me, I will use that single leg stand position to start with. And I'll start with really simple things. So for instance, I mean, you can test this yourself as well. Just stand on one leg and then get your balance. Then just look from side to side. And you'll probably notice that you feel a lot more unsteady when you're looking from side to side because it challenges the inner ear, which challenges our balance, makes the ankle do more work. So something as simple as that can be a real nice progression when somebody's starting to, to recover kind of from their ankle sprain. Mm. I definitely use the proprioceptive balance testing almost as a, as a bridge between sort of coming out of that early stage, let's say, rehab and progressing into almost like a test to see how stable they are and what they'll be able to progress into. Um, so I do like advancing into the almost like a, yeah, like I said, a bridge between early and mid stage um, and advancement on exercise. Yeah, that's a really good one. Um, closing the eyes is always a good one too. It takes out that visual perception, it just really tunes in um, people's perception of space and the balance you've if you do try these, make sure that you've uh, you've got a wall next to you, especially if you're struggling with ankle sprain. Make sure you've got a wall next to you to so see you're not sort of falling over and hurting even more so because you will, trust me, you will feel a little bit off balance. And you know what? Even if you haven't got an ankle sprain, it's great prehab. Although very basic, test test how tuned in you are to your, to your body. Yeah. Definitely. I think that um, any sort of stability training, if you're an athlete, um, you know, or even just, just maybe you've suffered with a little bit of ankle instability in the past, it can be great just to test that and kind of, like you say, prehab, prevent these sorts of things from, from happening. Or this is also really important when you get runners who maybe are used to, to road running and they start doing silly things like you do running through the woods and they wonder why they then roll their ankle because you used to lovely flat tarmac. So if you are transitioning your sports and your hobbies, then, then, then think about it really. Yeah. Um, yeah, very, very important to, to add into your training really. Hopping, hopping's a huge one for me, even, even sometimes early on. Um, again, it depends on the grade of injury and, and how quickly they're progressing, but just small hops. Um, then, bringing into a little bit more uh, multi-directional hops very and it may be within a tiny radius on the ground um barely lifting your body weight out of or off the floor um, and as you improve with that we can sort of develop as we move through into late stage develop your ability to essentially absorb load a little bit more and produce a little bit load and, and just generate tolerance um, start building very controlled low tolerance um, into um, multi-directional planes of movements so for standing on that one leg and it's a great one for for me in the mid stage is is sort of getting any objects from around the house and just popping them in like a clock around you and standing on your injured leg slightly soft knee so slightly bent and using your good leg push these objects out and away from you with with control of balance focusing on where the, the stabilizing knee is in relation to the, the ankle to make, make try and make sure that stays relatively over the ankle and, and foot as it, as it bends, not dropping in or, or rolling out and just slide that cone or object that's in front of you as far out as you can. And then move to maybe one at two o'clock and then one at four o'clock and one at six o'clock. And then you swing the leg behind you and push them out to sort of nine o'clock. If you're looking at a clock face and it just brings in this directional change in muscular response and control um which i really really enjoy and and, and uh it's a really effective one for me and, and my clients and they they get a lot from that 
Yeah, I think at this stage as well, I would probably start to do a little bit of calf strengthening. Um, although directly the calf is very rarely involved in um, an ankle sprain, you do get weakness there because you've reduced down a little bit of mobility and strength of the um, gastrocnemius and soleus we know is um, a predisposer for ankle injuries. Mm-hmm. So if we start to do some, some gentle calf raises, again, pain-free range, um, so tiptoe sort of exercises, working on that. And it's also a good stabilizer because when you do stand up as high as you can on tiptoes, it's less of a base of support for you. So you have to use your balance strategies to help. And this is probably a stage where I implement that um, with people, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. And and I think key word there is strategies. Again, depending on who you have in front of you and what their demands are, what, what, again, grade of injury they have. Obviously, the lower the grade, the quicker they're going to fly through these, these different sort of levels of um exercises um so we yeah we need to be very mindful of that and and educating that individual in front of us as to how to how to know when they're doing too much and not to get carried away because again what we the highest risk is after the initial um after your very first ankle sprain is within that first year and if you re reoccur it in that first year when all these fibers that we're trying to redevelop and strengthen uh weak and, and young let's say um it puts you at this horrible state of risk of reoccurrence on a, on a chronic ongoing basis which we really do want to avoid um i really like to again i know we're kind of like it's like tennis to me to you to me to you um but i really like to um use inflated stability discs so not like a wobble board that most people may be used to um but just inflatable stability disc and then actually if you're at home the mattress um, or a cup stand on a couple of pillows just something to take away that secure nature of the floor so progressing um, into stability disc work and that may just be having that in unstable ground let's say um, and referring back to as a bit of a test single leg can you do can you stabilize yourself on this unstable surface with your eyes open can you start incorporating a little bit of a head rotation yes in that case why not start bringing in a bit of movement? So it might be that um, someone starts throwing you a ball, you start physically throwing a ball whilst trying to balance on this unstable surface on a single leg and just really honing in this control form. Again, this can be really focused into the sport or the hobby that this individual has um, to really start firing up the, the body's control system um, for the progression to return to sport type rehab or latter stage rehab. Um, squats on maybe a stability disc could be really sort of controlled um, and just bringing in that control and lunges and just bringing in these extra little bits obviously as we're talking about unstable platforms you're working on um, and and a bit more functional movement we are progressing towards that latter stage of 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 this point before we go into sport specific Um, but yeah I i like bringing them in yeah, definitely. As, as we're moving on, I think this is an important stage that if there are um, other therapists listening as well, this kind of, for me, is the most important stage where you should be looking at your athletes and figuring out if they've developed any movements to compensate for the ankle. 
Mm. At this stage, things will be settling down and returning back to a degree of normality. And if you miss that somebody is moving differently at this stage, that can then predispose them for other injuries. So quite often if you miss out um, that maybe when somebody is, is landing from a little jump or a hop, they might be rolling the ankle in the opposite direction, which will put more pressure on the knee and then across to the lateral hip. Um, and then they might develop kind of blue teal tendon problems, which is really common when you have this altered movement pattern around the knee. So really important to fine tune how that individual is moving at that stage. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's kind of as well as that is comparing um, unaffected to affected side and seeing how that strength improvement is coming along. You know, you don't want to move on too quickly, especially if we're looking at that return to, to sport or lat, latter stage sort of strength condition. Um, I always want it to be sort of somewhere around the 80 to 90% mark with regards to before we move into real functional, let's build this strength, let's start agility ladders and such like that. Um, and and as that, exactly as you said, that gate marker, you know, are they moving equally? Are you noticing any discrepancies on their on their on their landing strategies? You know, are they shifting? So yeah, really important point you brought up there, mate. Yeah, hundred percent. So that latter stage of the rehab, then there's this fun is what. Stage. Sorry, the fun stage. That's the fun stage you really want. Can't wait to get back to. <laughs> the fun stage, and this is what everyone thinks of when they look at physios doing rehab of jumping around and doing all of this kind of crazy fun exercise, or well, at least we think it's fun anyway. The Instagram, uh, the Instagram stage, that's what everyone sees and wants to do. All these crazy, wacky exercises. And that's it. I mean, and to be honest with you, especially from evidence, there's no set right or wrong things that you should be doing at this stage. Key things for me is one, we need to get that 100% strong in every possible range of motion for that athlete or person. Um, and we need to get it stable in the same ranges. So this is where, like you mentioned, your agility ladders come in, your, your jumping, your landing, your twisting, your turning, all of the cone work, everything like that is really fundamental at this stage. There's no set things that I use. I try and make this as individualized as, as I can. And, and to keep the person engaged with their rehab, it has to be as sport specific as possible. Um, so like you mentioned standing on stability discs as if they're a footballer volleying a ball back to you that sort of stuff can be really important a tennis player working on their on their overhead stuff while they are in that split stance position anything like that at this stage is is really fundamental any key gems that you use um mate genuinely it's running along the same lines you know really understanding the individual's sporting needs and utilizing what we have in clinic or at their gym to, to um, bring that back. Um, sprinters using the BOSA ball to sort of drive uh, drive on, sprint onto and sprint off of. Um, Stabilising the sort of hip hitch position, getting ready for a, a powerful hip explosion. Um, yeah, just really making sure that whatever plane of motion they are most stressed in with regards to the forces that apply through their body when they're in sport is that we are... Um, gradually grading their um, rehab back into those and getting them used to the stresses that they are going to be exposed to. Um, making sure that their agility and their strength exercises closely replicate the movements performed. And if it's not sporting, just performed on a daily basis. Um, eliminating any fear of movement or fear of re-injury for me is a really key point at this stage. It's almost that psychological factor. Um, and again, that will be 
done from through a graded introduction of that higher level agility building their confidence with the power exercises that they will be replicating on the pitch in the gym at work whatever whatever their lifestyle sort of demands are really um yeah so it's it's having fun with it but understanding who you have in front of you and just really working at bringing the strength and the ability of affected limb to the non-affected limb so they are equal and i think at this sort of stage particularly with the ankle but any sort of of rehab this is where we need to be being smart because they might be very close to returning to their chosen sport or activity and you get a lot of people who they look fantastic when they're doing their rehab and all of their objective markers are spot on or their clinical testing is good and you get them back and they're not quite right because when you are doing your sport, you're not thinking about your ankle, or at least you shouldn't be because you won't be playing very well. You should be thinking about that game in front of you. So this is when I'll start to distract my clients. So I'll ask them stupid stuff. What's on their shopping list? Can they count backwards in threes from 200? And all of these sorts of things to take their brain off of their ankle and actually see what it's capable of. It's also the time where if I've got somebody doing jumping tasks, I'll give them a good shove because that's what's going to happen when they're going up for a header. Um, and their body needs to be prepared for that. I love doing that though. It is great fun. Um, <laughs> it's all about mimicking as much of that person's sport as you possibly can to get their body and psychologically ready um, to return. Cause there is a big, big um, emphasis really. If somebody doesn't feel in their head, doesn't feel ready to go back, they feel that they're going to re-injure it's probably a high chance that they're going to because they're not moving freely and functionally. So trying to break down those barriers is, is really important for people. Yeah. I love bringing, I love bringing in um, that, that perpetration. So like you said, that, that, that moment of um, uncertainty where the individual or the client is training and then they get an unknown force or movement applied through their body because essentially as you said you can't predict every single movement injuries occur from the movements or the forces that your body's not expecting so i actually i kind of slowly integrate that into the sort of mid stage as well so if they're doing maybe simple static um stability disc lunges isometric holds in that position i might just give them light nudges from left to right as they're in this static hold position on the stability disc just to really start firing up those nociceptors and, and everything like that but then obviously progress that into like i said giving a big shove, shove if they're up in the air um from from maybe depth drop training you know um with agility ladders to, to change it rapid change of direction as they're hitting that depth drop give them a little nudge they then have to respond to that external loaded force and react with that agility directional change that's that's really sort of important yeah really important um obviously we we kind of haven't really touched on it but there are there are um modalities that we as practitioners would use to help through these phases and and that might be down to sports taping for again even if that is purely for um, confidence levels of that individual athlete to return to a certain movement um, acupuncture a little bit of soft tissue work to help with um, the associated sort of t stiffness and restrictions that you may be feeling through the ankle or because the, the calves as you mentioned Liam or the hamstrings haven't been quite so active as usual just keeping them in play keeping them active a couple of muscle energy techniques and stuff like that um, and that, that goes a long way in in the client's perspective, perspective of um, improvement as well 
it's that feel good factor it's the improvement in range and allows them to to push forwards with um, rehab in a very nice way can be fine put your brains on stuff as well yeah i think manual therapy does have a role to play in these injuries it's most definitely not the be all and end all no. um but yeah some soft tissue release those sorts of things can sometimes really help just to to improve and encourage that recovery um, something else I probably look at is movement in the actual foot joints. When somebody has rolled their ankle, you can often get stiffness in what's called the mid-tarsal joint, so the middle row of bones in the foot. And actually just helping to relax that can help to free up a little bit of movement, um, which might be holding them back in terms of their, their range of motion. So there is definitely stuff that we apply in clinic um, to help people along their, their path of rehab, really, with this. Yeah. Um, so should we do a little summary of if you sprain your ankle of, of what you should do? Summary time. If you sprain yeah. your ankle, rest it essentially for a good sort of five to 10 days. If you want to apply ice, apply ice, but essentially just keep it elevated, take the weight off it. After that sort of time, look to start improving range of movement. Again, pain-free if you're thinking of one to 10 scale, one being no pain, 10 being extreme pain. Always work within a three to four range on that. Work your range of movement, slowly bring in um, a weight-bearing sort of element to it, and then bring yourself through rehabilitation. Load is key. Balance is key. Okay, so it's just really trying to revise a few of the exercises we've gone through, improve your joints' ability to support and stabilise, whilst making sure that any activity you do does not induce pain and it does not cause further swelling or inflammation or bruising. If it does, then the likely sign is you're not quite ready for that. Um, stability is key. Professional help is also key, if I'm honest. Um, you need guidance. You need accurate rehabilitation to prevent re-injury. Um, and essentially, that's what we're here for. And no doubt there's some more awesome... PTs, physical therapists, sports therapists out there, but none in the Medway Towns area. <laughs> uh, if you need anything, you know where we are. Plug, done. Um, no, but yeah, as, as a summary, it's, it's all about early intervention, really. Not overdoing it. Letting the body take its natural healing phase. And if you are in doubt or if you really do feel like it's inflamed to a big degree and there's swelling, see a professional sort of within the first week okay not maybe directly give it a couple of days but within the first week see a professional so they can rule out or send you off for an x-ray if, if the ottawa rules are there and give you that initial advice to then start your rehab going from there yeah don't ignore it no don't try and crack on a train because you just do yourself more harm than good so definitely look after it 100 percent. and there goes that i would say the end of our ankle sprain uncovered podcast now obviously on the back of that if you've got any questions drop us a message give us a call find our instagram or social media profiles eighth element and lrs physiotherapy and we'll love to sort of uh, engage with you um, and answer any questions that you do have so thanks for listening guys and we will leave it there and be back with you next week yeah tune in for some more pain uncovered series take care guys have a good one <laughs>